Hey there. Welcome to Twins Talk Clear-Cut Communication. Yes, we are twins. And yes, we are two old guys who should know better than to try to tackle the topic of communication in a podcast. But we're going to do it anyway, and hopefully you'll find it informative and maybe even enjoyable. Hey, we're coming to you from Reminderville, Ohio. And like any other town, kind of crazy. And the reason why we're coming from Reminderville is we're really going to treat this podcast a little differently, I think, Bear. And I thought we'll just put that out as a reminder. Nice application. Nice transition. Okay. Yeah. I'll take it. I'll take it. Good segue. Good segue. But what we thought we'd do today a little differently is that we would just ignore the listening audience and we talk to one another, as we often do before we actually start the podcast, and just explore the ideas and bounce them back forth to one another. So as best we can do, we're going to try to ignore you all and have this conversation for about 20 minutes. And the conversation, in my mind, uh, Bear, really centers around what are the core values and commitments that underlie a facilitative approach? Or the last podcast, we talked about a directive, facilitative, and a laissez-faire approach to leading and to guiding and to communicating. And so we thought we'd step back and say, okay, if we take a facilitative approach, what are some of the core values that underlie that? I'm going to put out three, and then maybe we can speak to them or toss them about in terms of what we think those mean. So the three that I've come up with is openness is a core value that underlies facilitation. I think equality is an equal core value. And then lastly, other-centeredness. Now, thoughts on that? Real quick thoughts. What's your reaction? Yeah, my, my reaction is those those are the three that I think of when I think of facilitation. One of the questions that pops uh, into mind quickly for me is which of those values is the most difficult to develop, to maintain, hmm. to work with? What do you mean by that? Well, like for me, as I look at the three, I think it's natural for me to look at people and have an equalness that I don't hmm. cause people to be different. I don't think of people as, uh, while there are differences, I don't think of them as being unequal. But the one that would be hard for me is to stay open because I have some pretty definite ideas, pretty definite hmm. choices. And so when I look at these values, the openness is one that I would find I'd have to attend to. I'd have to, to discipline myself to implement in the course of communication in order to facilitate more effectively. You know, it's interesting because I would have picked for me other-centeredness. And I don't mean to think of myself as being altruistic and not sufficiently selfish like everyone else. But what I do think of is that through my training, through the training that I've had in communication and even in counseling, I think I did develop an awareness and a sensitivity to the dynamic of communicating when people aren't other-centered. In fact, often what I'll do is I'll notice someone's taking the floor and they're just lecturing at me. My reaction is they're not other-centered because they're not picking up on me. Or it's like that story I think I've told in a previous podcast about the fellow who, for the first time I met, just went on and on about himself. And then about 10 minutes into the conversation, he stopped and he said, you know, enough about me. Let's talk about you. What do you think about me? <laughs> and my reaction is that isn't other-centeredness. Now, I'm not sure what it is. I don't want to go so far as narcissism or, you know, some labels, but I think it really does reflect people who are not aware in conversations of truly the nature of being other-centered, even though they think they are. 
The other interesting point to me, push back, is I find it a little difficult in terms of equality because when we've been consulting in organizations, there's such a hierarchy embedded in the conversation. So you have a meeting and immediately you know who's higher status and who's lower status in this room and who do I have to pay attention to as a result of their rank. So in terms of having a core value, I want to have a core value of equality. The moment I walk into a room and having a conversation and I'm facilitating that in this meeting is the CEO of the company and I may find myself treating him slightly differently than I treat someone else who simply isn't of that rank. So I find it interesting that the equality issue is one for me, but I might land on the same thing with you with openness, but I'd like to hear more about what you, what you think is openness. Well, I think there's a difference between you're speaking to equality. There's a difference between recognizing those distinctions and those layers and those titles, using them. Hmm. in the midst of conversation. So I would say, well, I'm quick to recognize those differences, that there are people who have positions that give them more leverage, more authority. I don't tend to look at them as being significantly different as people. And, And I see them as their comments have an equal value. Now, I know in the system, their comments have greater weight. But in the course of conversation, in the course of facilitating a dialogue, I don't see them as having greater weight. To that point, what's interesting is even when I say I recognize it and I'm, I'm with you on this notion of we, we recognize that hierarchy, we recognize that lack of equality, I actually try to address it by pushing on the hierarchical people, the higher status people. So even that, I have a bit more intent on trying to, if I'm facilitating a group and I'm the outsider doing the facilitation, levelizing the playing field, really trying to make it more equal. So maybe I do have the value of equality. It's just a recognition that things are not equal, and we're going to have to keep dealing with that. I'd love to hear you elaborate or pull out a bit more the concept of openness in your mind. What does it mean to have a value of openness? Well, part of it to me, when I, when I see the word and think of it in the context that we're trying to use it, openness means I don't allow my natural positions, positions I've assumed for years, to become an obstacle in the course of conversation, the course of exchange, that I don't allow those views to become a detriment to going forward more easily. And I think in facilitation, I've been in groups where sometimes when people speak, what they say is so wrong. (laughs) It's so inappropriate that it's hard for me not to address it in that manner. Mm. I think openness requires me not to judge, not to critique in the open. It does mean I don't still harbor that view, it means my position as a facilitator is not to look like I'm choosing sides, Mm. that I have an agenda in this conversation. And if you step away from it, I'm going to bring it to your attention. I like the notion of as a facilitator or with a facilitative mind, it's not your job to judge or it's not your job to critique. And I think that's really true. The moment we go there, that creates issues. I also like the notion that being open means I keep my own predispositions at bay. I work at my own personal inclinations and try not to introduce them into the conversation. And I'd push that slightly differently and say, I think in addition, it's pushing diversity into the conversation. We talked about dialogue. And I think it's the notion that I see in my openness, if I'm going to show a value of openness, it's trying to create divergence in the conversation versus convergence. So if I feel like people are trying to bring this conversation to a close too quickly, too prematurely. Right. What I will 
begin to do is ask questions like, well, are there any other ideas that we haven't thought about? Are, are there things we should be talking about that we're not now talking about? I think in some small way, that's an example of trying to embrace openness in the conversation and say, we need to make this more wide open before we close this thing down. Exactly. I think openness requires you to not create closure too quickly. Mm-hmm. I know that there's a time element in most facilitative efforts, but your initial goal, your mindset needs to be, I've got to create a commitment to openness on everyone's part, as well as my own, and not be too quick to draw that in or bring that to a close before we've really felt like, no, we've explored things fully and now we can move on or we can get some closure to our ideas. So that the the core value of openness to me is a significant discipline. Let me give you a test case and ask you a question. So how do you deal with the obnoxious, I know it all, I'm going to sit here and tell everybody in the room how it goes, how it works. How do you deal with that person with a sense of openness? Well, I guess I know myself to to what uh, intentionally consider that. But if I have to stand back and look at it, I would say my reaction is I want to bring in others Mm. comment on that point of view to see if that fellow understands the perceived impact of his words. I think often people speak and they're really unclear on how that's being received. So if he's being obnoxious unintentionally, if he's being obnoxious in this closed kind of way to kind of start a debate, then I'm going to solicit other people's views of what they've heard, not him or her, but what they've heard and how they respond to that. So rather than going directly at that person, right, you redirect it and say, so what do the rest of you think? Or yeah. you, you kind of bring the rest of the group in as a way of mitigating that strong presence. Yeah, creating, creating uh, yeah. A, a greater understanding of the impact of the words. Because I think some people continue on that kind of dogmatic approach because they're not getting feedback that they're interpreting as something they need to consider. They're just going on. So I would say that would be one of the strategies I would use. If I hear someone going on and on and they're being closed and they're being dogmatic, then I'll ask, what are some of your thoughts on what you're hearing? And ask, I'm asked pointedly to members of the group, say, how does that affect you? How do you, how are you picking up on that? Let me turn that just a bit because something in that conversation triggered in me the thought, so how do you approach any given conversation? When we think about this value of openness, I think it may also be captured in how we approach conversations in general, our initial thoughts about moving into conversation, what it's like. Any thoughts on that, on how you approach a conversation? Well, I mean, if I'm specifically trying to work out of a facilitative mindset, then I think I've described how I would approach it for openness. Now, if I'm not trying to be facilitative, let's say I'm in a teaching mode, or I'm trying to create clarity, I'm trying to create connection, then my view is to approach virtually any elements of someone's contribution and ask them, how do you connect that to what's being said? I know that that's your view, but how do you see that being related to this issue? or that issue, or what this person said. So I'm, I'm more directive then. I don't know that I'm more closed, but I'm more directive and I'm exercising a greater degree of control. Part of openness to me is being willing to suspend whatever level of control I have mm-hmm. temporarily. As, as I was asking you the question, I was thinking about my own responses, and I'm a little surprised here in terms of my own feelings about it. If I were to really reflect and be honest with myself, I think I almost enter any conversation 
as a blank slate. And that's what I'm surprised about. Even when I was teaching and I had a lecture or I knew what the topic of the conversation was for that day, when I walked into the classroom, that particular moment in time, I was kind of, I'm going to use the word open to anything. I'm really, in a way, surprised. I think it does come from that, what we refer to early in the podcast, of a strategic or rhetorical mindset that says, we're about to create something here. It's not static. It's not state. It's not that this is the way it always should be. It's that I'm real interested in the conversation. I'll give you an example. When I was doing this workshop yesterday, I had just 12 executives in it, and we were spending time talking about listening. So I'm telling these executives about listening, and the person says, how do you do all this without notes? And I said, 30 years of doing it. The, the phrase that I really love to use is any five-year-old could do this with 30 years experience. I think it's great. And so my view is there's really nothing you all can talk about that I haven't heard or talked about before. So wherever you want to take us, we're going to go. I'm very open to it. All I want to do is have us explore genuinely your questions about this topic. I want to push back a second. Uh-huh. I think there's a difference between openness and just having the biggest possible picture before you enter a conversation. Because hmm. I remember conversations I've been in with people before they before the conversations ever begin, I try to develop the biggest possible picture of where this could go, hmm. of how this could evolve, what this means in the end. And then I use what you and I have laughingly called before the Socratic method and try to help people get to the right conclusion. Uh-huh. Not my conclusion necessarily, uh-huh. but the conclusion that seems the most appropriate out of that big picture. Hmm. Now, I don't think of that specifically as being very open. Hmm. I think of it just having a bigger picture than most people. So when they walk into the conversation, they don't know that you've developed this big overview hmm. that they can't surprise you, that there isn't anything yes, they're going to say. That's going to throw me off guard or, or going to put me off because I'm seeing it from an altitude that I'm not concerned that I haven't considered most things. Hmm. So that's that's one view of, if you will, openness that you just got such a big picture that you don't look hamstrung by details yet. Mm-hmm. Strikes me, though, for me, in terms of the difference between the example I gave and the one you're playing with is there is a the value that I said I tend to embrace in conversation, at least is this other-centeredness. So when I walked into that room yesterday, my whole view was, this isn't about me, and this isn't about the content that I possess. This is about these 12 people and seeing what they can get a hold of. So my view is that kind of openness, well, all three of these obviously bank up uh, against one another. They all play off of each other. And so when I was thinking about that, I was thinking about the other-centeredness. Uh, another example I throw at you is about three or four weeks ago, I was asked to sit in and even facilitate a negotiation session with my small church. And what they were trying to do was to see if they could partner with community uh, health service for the poor who don't have insurance and couldn't afford health care. And so to have it in our building And so I just got this invitation late. Would you be here? Would you be willing to facilitate the conversation? They sent me a lot of material in advance. I actually read it. So I had some information, but I went into the meeting truly as a blank slate. I thought, I don't have an opinion here yet. I'm choosing not to develop one. While I think the partnership is a great idea, but the big question was, how would we make that work? But it was very clear to me, the moment we got on the Zoom session, there were at least half of the people in the room that had very clear strategies. I would have to say they were not truly open. There was a perspective 
that they wanted and nothing else was going to happen. And the meeting deteriorated quickly, actually because of that. Thoughts on that in terms of the conversation? Well, no, no, you were a, no, I think that's, we have surrounded the core value of openness, I think, pretty clearly. And I'm mm-hmm. given a lot of different perspectives on it and different elements of the definition. So I'm comfortable with how we've parsed that. I didn't comment on the other-centeredness, but I think my background in therapy, the practice of therapy has made it a habit for me mm. that I can drop into that without without the slightest reservation. In fact, I think it's become so ingrained in me that in the course of conversation, if I pick up something that seems out of place, I immediately drop into what's going on for that person. What, what is that about? Mm. I mean, all I have to hear is a couple of words or a tone that I'm consistently surprised at my natural instinct to just kind of be jarred by that and drop into a spot where I become, from my perspective, instantly other-centered. Mm-hmm. What could that be about for that person? There's something going on there that's that's important, that uh, will probably need attention conversationally. So I think where others don't have that advantage, I think historically I have that advantage because therapy is being other-centered. That's yep. a commitment. The door doesn't open without you becoming instantly other-centered, if you're going to be effective at it. You know, one of the things you're saying to me is that really our training, your training and my training, has brought about certain disciplines that have affected, in a way, our values, hopefully in a positive direction, but certainly affected them in the way of movement towards facilitation as an approach. And so I think about lots of the folks out there that don't have that kind of training. In fact, they get the training that actually works just opposite of that. I would use, for example, law and legal training. That is not designed to be open. It's designed to, I'm not asking a question that I don't already have the answer to. It's designed to be a very closed system. And so I do think training clearly plays a role. And if we're not trained in certain fields that move in this direction, then our general values are not going to be aligned with the facilitation. They're not going to be aligned with some of these. Even though we can be an open person, even though we can want equality, even though we can say we really do want to be other-centered, the fundamental underlying value doesn't support that. And a lot of people, you're absolutely right, Bob, a lot of people haven't developed habit strength with those three values. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, in much of their environment, much of their professional world, they would say requires me to be personally centered, Mm -hmm. how things affect me, how I how things work. Their professional obligations require them to be more closed, to have answers, to not be open, not not to stay open too long. They've got to get things done. Mm-hmm. So I, I do think that's an important consideration. If you haven't had a history of training or preparation or personal investment in these values, they're not natural. Yep. You'll have to consider where am I with that and how do I make those values a part of my exchange mm-hmm. or part of my conversational commitment? Yeah. Well, Bear, we've run the circle for 20 minutes. We've done the gamut. We've done it in a different way. I think what we have to do now is listen and see if we thought this was even close to being valuable or effective. We'll come back with an assessment of, we liked it, we're going to keep doing it, or no, we don't ever want to do that again. So it's just a new approach. We'll check it out. The twins are done talking for today. Now it's your turn. We'd love to hear from you with feedback regarding today's theme or situation you'd like us to step into during a future session. You can reach us at twintalk46 at gmail.com. Remember, no communication problem is so big, so complicated, or so intense 
that we can't make it larger, more complex, or more dangerous than it already is, almost effortlessly. And we'd like to thank Kevin McLeod for the score that both began and ended this podcast. Thank you.